Outside of the office because we're getting the flooring redone in the office, I believe for the first time uh, since this building was built in 1986. Uh, so it is a bit overdue, uh, but we're grateful that we have the opportunity to do that. Um, my youngest son asked me, he said, Dad, did you buy AirPods for everybody in the church for Christmas? And I said, no. I said, what, what made you think that? And he said, well, it, it says pods on the huge container right outside your office. And uh, I said, well, I'm just going to have to apologize in advance to the whole church because uh, I, I did not get everybody AirPods uh, coming from your preacher this year. But, uh, but as a consolation prize, uh, I have a brand new, slightly used sermon series that I will be blessing you with this Christmas season. Uh, today we begin a short series uh, going through Christmas in Romans. Uh, and we officially finished our series in Romans uh, last week, uh, an eight-month series uh, that we had been walking through Paul's letter to the Romans ever since March of this year. Uh, but I thought to myself, you know, when in Romans, you know, uh, seriously, it, it, was, it was one of those things as I was walking through and studying this book, there was a few themes that emerged uh, that I, I really wasn't anticipating. Uh, I had studied some of Romans before over the years, but not to the depth that we have over the past eight months. Uh, one of the themes that emerged was, was the theme of the resurrection of Jesus. And we looked at that during our Easter service several months ago. Uh, we saw how Paul continues to weave in uh, the theme of the resurrection into his letter. Um, but as I, I began going back through the text, I began to realize uh, more and more how, how Paul emphasizes the reality of Jesus' coming in the lives of real people uh, like you and, and, and like me. And so each year around this time, I, I just I try to help us to, to see, to, to help us uh, to, to, to focus our, our minds and our hearts on the radical implications of Jesus' coming into this world and how uh, we as followers can order our lives to his coming and to his coming again. So in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. The coming of Jesus is for everyone. We're going to look at that some next week. In Romans 5, Paul says, uh, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sin. Paul goes on to say in verse 15, How much more did God's grace 
and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many. The coming of the one man has radical implications on the many. And then in Romans chapter 8, Jesus came to give us the spirit, verses 9 and 10. Jesus came to give us a family, verses 16 and 17. Jesus came for our good, verse 28. Jesus came that we could know God is for us, verses 31 through 34. Now, I just gave you the drone footage of where we're going the next few weeks. Uh, just so that we could get up above and, and see, okay, this is, this is where we're going. But today I want to take, take us back to the beginning. Uh, as Julie Andrews says in The Sound of Music, it's a very good place to start. And so in Romans 1, uh, after verse 16, we, we look a few verses later in verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. Verse 20, what Hughes read just a few moments ago. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. Today I want us to consider the wonder of Jesus stepping into human history. And how Jesus came uh, even for those of us who don't get it. In the first chapter of the Gospel of John, the story of Jesus does not begin with Christmas Day. It begins with Jesus making the very world that he would come into. And so the very world that, that would reject him as if he were unknown to them, even though his fingerprints are all over creation. I love the song that we sang just a few moments ago, Here With Us. How tiny fingers reaching into the night were, were the very hands that measured the sky. Mm. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the, the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. I'm so grateful for the, the servant ladies that we have in this congregation that were here this past weekend putting up our Christmas trees and, and the lights. I just, I love walking into the, this auditorium and just, or, or, or into the foyer and just seeing the, the expansion of, of lights. Verse 9, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and, and though the, the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. This is, this is part of the incredible mystery of Christmas. And God was not surprised by this lack of recognition. He knew before the creation of the world yet he still chose to love us. And the miracle of the Christmas story really shouts this love. It proclaims this love. Who goes intentionally somewhere where they know that they're gonna suffer? 
Who goes intentionally somewhere where they, they know they're going to be rejected? Who intentionally goes somewhere where they know they're going to be killed? This is the story of the creator of the world, Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 1, the writer says, In the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways, but in these last days he has spoke to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom, get this, also he made the universe. And then chapter 10 in, in Hebrews verse 5, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. Jesus did not begin in Bethlehem. He simply relocated to Bethlehem. However, have you ever considered what all he left behind. Uh, many of you are aware that last year, Queen Elizabeth II passed away at the age of 96. I think we have a picture of her on the screen. Uh, her last trip to the United States was in 2007. Uh, maybe we don't have that picture on the screen. I'm getting a, a shaking head. Uh, just look at Bernie Coker. She kind of looks like Queen Elizabeth. <laughs> you could be her doppelganger, by the way. I'm sorry. I, sometimes things come over me and I just say them out loud. My wife gets on to me for that. Queen Elizabeth II. She comes to uh, the United States for her, her last trip in 2007. Uh, she, she engages with, at that time, President George W. Bush and his wife, Laura. Uh, they host a, a dinner for her in, in, in honor of her at the White House. Uh, but the one thing that the media just got all over and, and, and really got into a frenzy about was her luggage. Queen Elizabeth II had three tons of luggage. 6,000 pounds of luggage that she brought with her. And it was all kinds of things, the gowns and the crowns. Uh, she's been reported to travel with as many as 50 pairs of white gloves to accommodate all the handshakes. Uh, she packed black garments in case someone important suddenly passed away. She would be able to attend the funeral. She had an assortment of hats. The queen also brought gifts such as brooches and cufflinks and pins. There's boxes of royal papers that she brought that she had to attend to while she was here, not to mention members of, of her family in photographs, a certain type of water, homeopathic remedy, special jams, and her favorite tea, along with her favorite teapot. Not to mention she brought her own personal doctor. Gives a new meaning to the word doc in a box. I don't know if he was in the suitcase or not, but she, she brought him along with her. You say, well, what's the point? Not much is left behind when royalty travels, except when you're talking about Jesus. 
Jesus took a bigger step down than any of us can ever imagine. There's Queen Elizabeth. There's that Bernie. Yeah, no, there's Queen Elizabeth. A bigger step down than any of us could ever imagine. So, so think back with me to uh, Philippians chapter 2, where, where Paul says, uh, in your relationships with one another, he says, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Whether he made himself nothing by, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Church, we live in a culture that's all about making yourself something, yet we follow the one who made himself nothing. Another translation says that he emptied himself. And if you really want to get Christmas, it's got a lot to do with appreciating what Jesus emptied himself of. So have you ever considered that the king of kings entered this world in Palestine as a baby who could not speak? Could not eat on his own. Could not control his bladder. If you have diapers in the house right now, you are in a season. I remember an older minister telling me that years ago. You're in a season. Jesus chose to be powerless over his reputation. He was thought by many to be born out of wedlock by Mary and Joseph. Uh, he was born to poor newlyweds. He had to hide out in a foreign country with his young parents. He had no political representation. He had no military protection. Jesus entered the world with the deck stacked against him. Does anybody resonate? And yet it gets deeper. That which Jesus was bound by at his birth is nothing compared to what he was bound to at the cross. Isaiah 53 and 6. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. 2 Corinthians 5, 21. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You say, well, wait a minute, preacher. I thought we were talking about the baby Jesus. I thought we were talking about eight pounds, six ounce, baby Jesus. And here's the reality is that the angels would not even let Joseph stop there and think about just the baby. In Matthew 1 and 21, the angel said, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Even the angel was getting Joseph to think beyond the birth. Corey Ten Boom said it this way, if Jesus were born 1,000 times in Bethlehem and not in me, then I would still be lost. Jesus came for those of us who don't get it. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So what does Jesus becoming poor, what does Jesus emptying himself, what does that, that mean for our lives? I want to offer you just a few things to consider this Christmas season. 
Number one is that the coming of Jesus reminds us of how desperate that we are. For Jesus to let go of everything he let go of, my situation, your situation, had to be pretty serious. Uh, We've witnessed a number of people in this faith family this past year uh, who've experienced or walked through the difficulty of cancer. And surgeries and and chemo that, that burns up someone's body, radiation and other therapies tell us how serious cancer must be. Uh, The fact that someone has to give up their kidney in order for someone else to have a kidney tells us how serious that situation must be. Jesus' coming says something about the seriousness of our situation. Jesus' coming is not about getting more luxury items under the tree. He's the Savior of the world, and there is no hope without him. So come, Lord Jesus, and come quickly. Number two is that the coming of Jesus tells us how loved we are. One of my preacher friends says it this way. He says, when we're little, we tend to consider how much somebody loves us by how much they give us. But as we get older, we begin to consider how much somebody loves us by how much they've given up for us. I think of some of you when I think about this who have given up so much uh, to care for your aging parents. I think of members in this church who have given up time to, to serve those in our community who are hungry. I think of students who have given up summer vacation time to serve others locally and, and abroad. I think of those teachers among us who give up time to to, to pour out the Word of God into our lives and in practical ways in our Bible classes and beyond in our connect groups. I think of uh, the Savage family who gave up their lives here to serve in Rwanda. Please be in prayer for them as they make an emergency trip back to the States to be with Becca's father whose health is failing. And the list goes on and on as I I look around this auditorium. A lot of us may be able to quote John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But can you quote 1 John 3.16? This is how we know what love is. Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters, church, Jesus loves us to death, literally. The lyric that I, I listen to uh, the most this time of year, and I've, I've heard it uh, in various places, and it never ceases to stop me in my tracks. I've heard it listening to the radio in the, in the car. Somebody say 96.5. I've heard it in Walmart, walking around shopping. I've heard it, the instrumental version in Chick-fil-A. I've heard it all over the place. 
But the, the lyric that I listen to or listen for the most this time of year is long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. Mm. Even in the midst of physical sickness, do you understand your soul's worth? Even in the midst of relationship struggles, do you understand that your ultimate worth is not found in another person, it's found in the one who gave himself up for you? When you feel alone, when you doubt, when you question, when you wonder if your circumstance will ever change, the same Jesus who created the world sees you and he bids you to come. For I am gentle and humble in heart. Come to me and you will find rest for your souls. Church, a a soul that finds its worth in Christ is the same soul that finds rest in Christ. Which leads us to number three. That the coming of Jesus reminds us to empty ourselves. Do you remember what we read earlier in Philippians chapter two? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. We don't just sit with this gaze and, and we, we do honor and appreciate and, and long for the, the, the model, the example that we see of Christ, but we don't, we don't just stop at the gaze. Our minds begin to be transformed. Our hearts begin to be shaped by the God-man, Jesus Christ. Back in Romans 1.20, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal and divine nature have been clearly seen. Back to Philippians 2, verse 6, Christ being in the very what? Nature. God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Think about this in the creation narrative in the, in the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve, they, they grasped for equality with God, eating from the only tree that they were told not to eat of. Although they were they're far from it, they are They are grasping for this equality with God. And yet Jesus, the one who is God's equal, the one who embodies the great mystery of the Trinitarian nature, he doesn't eat of a tree he's not supposed to. He dies on a tree that he's called to. Verse 8, Philippians 2, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The story of our sin is us grasping for a God-like status. Yet the story of our salvation is the story of Jesus who refuses to cling to equality. Instead, he takes the path of downward mobility in order to lift us up. Church, this Christmas season, spiritual maturity is learning how to stop living in the first story and through the indwelling Holy Spirit start living out the second story. And in so doing, we begin to grasp the true meaning of the Christmas story. Philippians 2 and 9. Therefore, 
God exalted him to the highest place, gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. that doesn't get your attention, maybe the fire trucks will. What a beautiful name it is. Let's pray. So Father, I pray that you water what's been sown this morning. As we enter into the Christmas season, I teach us to have the same mindset as your son. The one who was the word in the beginning one with God, the Lord most high, your hidden glory and creation now revealed in you, our Christ. Lord, forgive us for not seeing. We believe, Lord, help our unbelief. Remind us how desperate we were. Remind us how loved we are. Teach us to empty ourselves for your sake and for your glory. It's in Jesus' good name we pray. Amen.